بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد We gathered here today to discuss uh, some aspects about marriage Marriage, the discussion about marriage, there are so many different things that can be happening in a marriage that it's very difficult to cover everything and every single human being is unique every single human being is unique and despite every single human being unique when they come together when a husband and wife comes together there are then going to be very unique situations so what may work in a particular marriage may not necessarily work in another marriage but there are a few core ingredients and some core points which you can say that once a person is married that they need to focus on generally which are supposed to be the important points to help contribute to a positive marriage key elements basically general principles they have a positive impact on a marriage we can say that there are four of these points the first point is character and religious commitment because we're talking about a muslim marriage here so character akhlaq conduct and religious commitment this is the first point number two companionship the relationship between a husband and wife the companionship is extremely important that each one is a companion for the other and that's why in many languages they actually use the term companion for a wife in Urdu they say Rafiqai Hayat your companion for your life essentially number three social skills and communication are a very essential ingredient sometimes there's no problem but it's just the means of communication social skills of how to deal with somebody how to react to somebody and number four an internal attitude of mercy and compassion attitude of mercy and compassion so these are four key elements we'll try to look at each one of them briefly inshallah the first one is character and religious commitment if a person is generally vulgar in their speech if a person is generally very mean and nasty in the way they speak things or they say things or the way they act when you're doing that with friends or class people or colleagues you a person would have already noticed that or should have noticed that if they're not blaming other people all the time so when a person gets married and you're supposed to be with the person with your husband and wife 24 hours a day sometimes or at least you know at very vulnerable times throughout the day if the character the character is very important because if a person is nasty weird they say strange things they say vulgar things insulting things and they don't think much of it you know I, when we deal with students in when we're teaching students sometimes you have a particular student who always says certain insulting things to other students when that student is called by the teacher or the head teacher the principal they still have an attitude and it's not because they're trying to be mean it's because they've had friends they've lived too long they've been too long with certain friends who always speak like that in a very in a very rude way they don't even know they're being rude because that's the way they speak to their friends all the time and it's acceptable among their friends to be rude like this but now it doesn't work like that with other people it works only within your little gangster circle or within your own group or club or friend circle but when you go outside of that it looks it's totally unusual abnormal wrong and it seems just wrong so if a wife hears a husband speaking like this she's gonna think he's being rude he may not be being rude but 
it's going to be seem like he's being rude. And likewise, if the wife is like that, then the husband is going to feel like that. So we have to really think about this. Then there are just some general etiquette about the way you do things. Saying thank you, uh, showing gratitude, praising someone, being patient, saying sorry. I know a marriage that broke up because one of the partners, one of the couples, they could not apologize. It was, Im it was like it was impossible for them to apologize. They would never apologize. Even if they accepted they, or understood they were wrong, they could not apologize. That's very bad character. So that's why there, there are several texts. There's one by Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda called Islamic Conduct. Min Adabil Islam. And it's been translated. And that's really good. There's another one which is called Adabul Mu'asharat by Maulana Ashafali Tanwi. Uh, then there's Path to Perfection by Maulana Masihullah Khan. Then there's Adabul Suhba by Imam Sha'arani. Some of these are in English, others are in Arabic or in Urdu, right? But you need to read a book on Mu'asharat. Give you a simple example. Somebody, when they get out of their car, they close their door with a bang. Now, from an akhlaqi perspective, that's bad. Because that just shows that you're going over the limit. Akhlaq is, uh, what we have to understand is that akhlaq and character is where you go above or below the balance. That which is, should be considered to be balanced and equilibrium, you're going beyond that or you're falling short of that. So to shut the door very loudly or hard is over the top. Now this is just showing one issue, but then they would be doing the same thing everywhere. So akhlaq and character are very important, otherwise, because you're constantly living with somebody. So the akhlaq, we have to improve our akhlaq and we have to recognize we have a problem. Otherwise, I mean, I'm not even talking about extreme greed, uh, extreme desire, extreme anger. Person gets angry very quickly, they're going to suffer in their marriage. You can't exercise that kind of anger in your marriage. One of the ways to figure out how uh, if we have an imbalance is to go move out of our own circle and go and stay with other people for a while and you will then start noticing that uh, what the difference is because sometimes we become immune to certain types of character because everybody around us is like that as well when you go into a different circle for like you know several days and you start seeing that they do things differently. And they find it very surprising when I do something in my way. So these are a few things about character. It's a personal development that has to take place. Otherwise a person is going to suffer in their marriage. Now if a person, if a couple are already together and they want to develop their uh, personal development, then it's now it's a good idea for them to try to do it together. So one of the ways to do that would be to maybe go and take a course together to go and take an Islamic course together, like for example this one, or others. That helps them both to kind of reflect on themselves, on their spouse, and get up, maybe do prayer together at home, like tahajjud prayer together. Make du'as together. It will inshallah create a bond within them. The second point is that, uh, the second point is of companionship. What does that mean? Uh, the spouse has to be the best friend of their spouse, the best friend. You may have had best friends before marriage. A best friend, what is a best friend? I mean, that's another issue that has to be, what's a best friend? Best friend is somebody who you share generally all your secrets with, who know you better than anybody else, who you're willing to do so much for more than anybody else. Now once a person gets married and if they still have a best friend and their husband or wife is not their best friend or if, not, if, if it's at least not even equal to a best friend, they have to be better than a best friend, their best friends, then you're going to suffer because your priorities, your allegiance, right? Which side you are, who, who you're going to listen to more. If your friend wants to do something but 
your wife doesn't want, you know, at that time genuinely wants to do something else, where are you going to give sacrifices? That's why companionship, best friend, intimate companion has to be your husband or wife. Not to say you have to drop all of your friends, but your friends can't be closer to you than your husband or wife. That's a recipe for disaster. Generally, when a person gets married at the beginning, during the honeymoon period, at the beginning of this marriage, um, the love is supposed to start and the longing for each other to come about is generally natural because it's something fresh and new. Right? It's a new experience. There's a euphoria. It's an exciting phase. And people are experiencing butterflies, if you want to call it that. Right, to give the romantic idea. That could take a few weeks for some people, and then it's over. For some people it's a few months, and for some people it's a few years, if they're very lucky. That's what you call the initial romantic period. Now, again here, if you are a person who is hard to please, then you're going to find it tough here. Your spouse is going to have to fight very hard. She may not know, or he may not know, that you're very hard to please. Or if a person gets bored very easily, if a person gets bored very easily, then that's another challenge. If they always need new thrills, they're always looking for the next thrill, they can't sustain themselves with one thing, then that's a challenge. For example, there's one couple that I was dealing with. They, the husband was a bit of a volatile kind of character. A bit spontaneous. They got married and he loved his football. Sometimes football becomes a greater love than your spouse. Anybody like that here who loves their football more than, more than their spouse? Apparently they were on their honeymoon in another country. I think they went to Turkey for their honeymoon. And there was a high profile football match that was taking place. It happened to be, I can't remember what the teams were, but it was a very high-profile one. Now, this is like one of the first several nights with the wife, evenings. And there's a football match on. They're in a hotel. So the television in their hotel room wasn't working. So at least if it was working, they would have both sat and she would have had to sit through. But it wasn't working for some reason. So he asked permission for his wife to go into the lobby to watch the match. She reluctantly accepted. She didn't want to mess it up in the beginning of the marriage. She didn't want to sour, sour the things up already. He came back at 2 a.m. Long after the um, match was over. The match may have been over 11, 12. He came back at 2 a.m. Telling her how after the match, he remained behind giving dawah to the people. MashaAllah. Right. To the other men who were there sitting watching, he was giving them da'wah afterwards. Now, is that a time to give da'wah? Now, God knows what he was really doing, right? What he thought he was giving da'wah to. Now, this became a source of ill feeling and a thorn right from that stage. The wife is going to remember that. She's going to make certain judgments about you, right? That football is more beloved. Then even after football, talking to people. Personally, I can't even understand why he did that. It, it boggles my mind, right? From my own experience, that why would somebody do that? But people are different. There's different types of people. This is a time when spouses are supposed to be getting to know each other. But at that time, he's not very sensitive. And he does something which is unusual. Eventually, they, their marriage did not work out. I guess that was a sign of things to come. After the honeymoon period, after when it becomes more normal, then the reality sets in and the grind of normal life, day-to-day -day life hits. And now you still have to maintain the communication between the spouses. Lifelong friends, it requires obviously a lot of effort. This is now when other couples fail. The initial period when it's all fresh and new and exciting is good, but afterwards it kind of gets boring for some people. Spending quality time together 
engaging in some kind of entertainment together. People need entertainment. So generally, if they're going to do entertainment separately, a guy gets married and he does his honeymoon and then two weeks later he's off for a holiday with his friends. The Prophet ﷺ said that in Hadith of Abu Dawud and Tirmidhi, everything with which a man amuses himself is vain except three things. Meaning, if you're going to amuse yourself uh, in anything, generally there may not be any benefit to it unless you're doing it for proper recreation. You just want to, uh, you've just just want to relax for a while. But if you just go and getting obsessed and addicted to amusement, then that's a problem. But he says that there is actually three things which are completely halal and you'd probably be even rewarded for doing those entertainments. One of them is a man's training of his horse. Because that's related to the whole concept of getting your horse ready so that it's ready for jihad, etc. Okay? So we could, I mean, th th there would have to be a modern understanding of this, but that's not our focus right now. Number two, though, is his playing with his wife. The Prophet also was talking to, his, to men. So he's saying that when you're entertaining yourself with your wife, playing things together, enjoying each other, right? And you can take that wherever you want. That is all halal rewarding. Because that's a relationship that you have to foster. And by doing things entertaining between you and playing with each other, that is wonderful. And the third thing he said was shooting with his bow and arrow. So everything, there's a reason for each one of these things because there's a benefit that comes from them. There's numerous things the Prophet ﷺ did that we know, some of the things we don't know, but there's a few things that we do know. Uh, where the Prophet ﷺ engaged in light-hearted entertainment with his spouses. Once, for example, a group of Abyssinians, uh, Ethiopians, they were demonstrating a particular type of uh, play, a show, with their spears um, in the Prophet's masjid. So you, you know that if this is the masjid, the Prophet's room was here. If that's the qibla, the Prophet's room was here. So um, he stood with Aisha radiallahu anha through the curtain watching this play she had her chin on his shoulder so she was watching from his shoulder now the prophet ﷺ asked have you seen enough and she had seen enough she wasn't but she said i just wanted to see how long he'd be willing to stand there for me so she said no i haven't so then he stood for longer right to watch it even though he may have been bored or he may have not been interested as much he did it for her now you know that if the Prophet is a person who doesn't waste his time. Right? But here he did it for his wife. Then there's a famous story that they raced, at least twice in their life they raced. Once he beat her, she beat him first. The second time he beat her in a race. I mean having, uh, I think once I raced with my wife just for this sunnah, I said let's have a race. Right? Spending time and doing things together for the husband and wife that they both enjoy helps to foster love and friendship right so none of them should entertain on a particular thing which the other one hates and you force them to do that should try to think of some things that they can both do together I mean what are some of the ideas you could take on a new hobby together right a new hobby together for example whatever that may be you could read something together right you could cook a meal together you could bake something together. You can play a board game, a halal board game like Scrabble. Right? Um, anybody played with Scrabble? You know what Scrabble is? It's kind of boring for a lot of people, but it teaches you words and a lot of people enjoy it. Right? You could follow a series of, le uh, uh, of lectures, like a series on, you know, on, on, online, for example, as well. If you don't go to the course itself, you can go on a hike. You can just show each other romantic gestures, uh, making time for intimacy, you know, uh, focus, on, focus on intimacy. So there's many, many ways. I mean, these are just some ideas. I'm sure you can give me more ideas. Many different ways of spouses that they can spend time bonding and strengthening their relationship. At the same time, though, they should not become so possessive of one another because that's not healthy either, you still got a life to live. So you can't get so possessive. While the husband or wife should be their best friend, this doesn't mean that they have to be your only friend. 
because that's going to be stifling. If the wife thinks the husband is her only friend, then he can't do anything else because she's going to want him on, his side, on her side all the time. That's very detrimental. He should be allowed to go and do his stuff as well. And she should be allowed to have her little side hobbies and entertain her guests and, and, and that as well. So, you can't be controlling. It, possessiveness, this, uh, this relationship of being best friend, should not become so possessive that you become controlling. And without realizing you could become controlling. In fact, you may be controlling your spouse and you, you won't know it. So you have to think about that. You know, some of us, when they hear these things, they think, that's not me. But you have to critically assess yourself. Respect their space, their other friendships, and their other hobbies as long as it's halal. If their other hobbies is dealing drugs or doing something else that's wrong, then, then you need to do something about that. But otherwise, if they've got a halal, relation, a halal hobby, then you should support it. Even if you're not interested, you should let them do it, support it, show an interest in it, encourage them in it. That's good. And what you have to remember is that a husband and wife can never suffice one another 100%. Because humans are social creatures. You can't just have your husband and wife. You have to have more than that. So it's healthy for them to have a healthy hobby. For example, if you've got your wife into baking cakes, right? Or making something else, or doing something else, halal, that's good. Because at least she can occupy her mind. Because she won't be working all day, for example. You may be working all day, earning a living, but she's gonna, she might get bored at home. She has to also feel a sense of fulfillment. So these are just some things that you can consider. Spouses should be very of allowing um, <clears throat> their job to take over their lives to such an extent that you don't spend any time with your husband and wife, with your, with your spouse. Now, there are certain times though, that if you're working for a company, you have your own business or some other hobby, that sometimes you just need extra time. There's two weeks, you know, because it's a Eid period, Ramadan period, Christmas period or something like that, where there's going to have be no time. So then you need to understand that as well. That okay, he's going to be very busy. This is a busy period. These are just practical things, right? These are just practical things that we overlook sometimes. Because, for example, for women, they should remember that at the, ultimately the husband is working on his career to not only for himself, but to provide for her and their family. And this is obviously an indirect expression of his love. Otherwise, do you want a husband who doesn't work and who's just uh, survive, trying to survive on handouts, begging people? That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, which means, and live with them in kindness. Uh, ma'roof can be kindness, ma'roof can also be according to convention. Right? Allow them to do the things that the normal healthy conventions allow. Don't be so possessive that they need to be just yours. But allow it to happen in an organic way. Now, you can't obviously spend time on your career and then let your house go up in flames. That's also wrong. There's extremes in this case. She sh similarly, she should also be considered that when she becomes a mother, now there's a competition. The child should not be a co It's his child as well. But it becomes like a competition and they feel that they need to focus all their attention on the child. Caring for babies can be very overwhelming, especially if it's your first baby and you're a bit of a delicate person and you haven't had any experience. And maybe you've got nobody to help you, like you don't have your parents close by or in the same house. Sometimes that could seem uh, very difficult. But you're more likely to have a husband who's going to be helpful and supportive if you take steps at that time to ensure that he does not feel forgotten or replaced by your infant. That is a very important point. When you have your first child, you should never feel like, you should make sure that your husband doesn't feel, I know you're going to be tired, you're going to be, you know, trying to recuperate, but you cannot make, allow your husband to feel that way. That he is no longer important. Making time to maintain your intimate relationship with your husband is especially important in this regard. 
we move on to the social skills. This is the third important factor. In fact, this is probably the single most important factor that, needs, uh, that, that is needed to make a marriage work. Social skills. Many people give married without giving any thought to reading up uh, on Im or improving the way they communicate. Communication. How do you tell people how you feel? How do you tell people how, what you want? Through communication. And that communication has to be appropriate, convincing for it to, for it to work. Human relationships are very complex and there's obviously many uh, skills that are needed to navigate them successfully. And for some people it comes naturally, but for a lot of people it doesn't come naturally. Some people are very natural communicators, very good at communicating, but some people aren't. You know, they have to explain things in ten ways to be able to be understood sometimes. For example, if you want to compare this to driving a car, it's possible that if somebody tells you the theory of how to drive a car, that you put your key in, you put your leg on, uh, foot on the pedal and then you turn it and then you put it into gear if it's, uh, you know, depending on whether it's uh, manual or... They, you can get a theory, you can try it a few times and you may even be able to get from point A to B without an accident. You may be able to do that. But without the theoretical rules, knowledge, of the way the car works and the rules of the road, right? Even if you made it from point A to B safely once, you're not always going to make it safely. Because all you've learned to do is just how to operate the car on a basic level. You have no idea beyond that. You have no idea about the laws and regulations and w what you do in certain circumstances. So the Social skills that are required for marriage are very similar. And people don't even think about this. How many people even think about this? We all think, so in the same way that you think you can learn the basics of driving a car and just drive the car, we all think that uh, we know how to communicate with people because we do it on a daily basis. On a daily basis we communicate with people, we get by. But there is so much more to be learned regarding the best method of speaking and dealing with others from a psychological perspective. And a lot of it is not immediately obvious. Now, our times, in particular this generation, this particular century that we're living in and probably the future, it's even more complicated now because of the overwhelming influence of social media. Why? Why are we... Why are we blaming social media for because that is warping the understanding of what it really means to be a friend before everybody knew what it meant to be a friend it was a quite a universal idea but this century has introduced to us a new idea of how to be a friend you can be a facebook friend and never have met the person in your life and if you do meet the person you'll be awkward with him even though you're so good online with them Two different things completely. So your friend is, your spouse is not someone you know from a WhatsApp group. Or someone whose posts or tweets you like. They are a real physical person that you interact with daily. So if for the last 10 years you've been on WhatsApp and Facebook and all of these things, and then suddenly you get married, and you've only had proper friends on those means, I mean, how are you going to deal with somebody on a personal level? Because when it's on, so, uh, on WhatsApp, you, you are hiding behind uh, a screen. They can't tell what, how you are really. So these are real people you're going to be dealing with. And you'll have to be very intimate, personal relationship with your spouse, more than any other person. That's why social skills are very important to think about. Social skills are very important. To think. Social skills obviously covers a vast range of principles and techniques. And we can't talk about that here because that would take a whole day. That's a whole subject on its own. What we want to talk about are just a few things. First and foremost, there is a difference between men and women, okay? There's a difference between men and women. They are not alike. It doesn't matter who tells you what at school or in whatever subject or what feminists may tell you that we're all the same. We're not the same, 
all right there are clear differences anybody who thinks otherwise is crazy i mean there are differences between men and women this that's just obvious there are i'm not saying one is worse than the other we're just saying we're different okay i mean we can agree to that and then obviously we also come from different temp temperaments and communication styles there is a very good book about, uh, um, which is called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus by John Gray. And that's kind of like a landmark book that goes to explain to men that women think differently and do things differently. And it tells women that men are very different. And really, it's an eye-opener. For the people who've read it, it's an eye-opener because they would always think, why doesn't he get me? Why doesn't she understand me? Well, because you're different and she's different. You're both different. You think differently. A huge proportion of day-to-day -day pro problems and arguments that arise in a marriage, they result of miscommunication. The other one spouse just doesn't understand what the other one is intending or what they want. We have to try to understand where the other person is coming from. What's in their mind? What are they really trying to say? What is their objective? What do they want accomplished? You see, it's very different how men rationalize things and it's very different how women rationalize things. And the conclusions from each of them can be very different. So try to really step into your spouse's shoes. I don't mean physically, but you know what I mean. Don't close your mind and become obstinate and stubborn. I'm right, it's obvious. Don't have that attitude. Why can't they see that? Why can't you understand that? Help them understand it. Yeah, we have to try to very hard to really listen and to empathize. You have to remember that a good marriage is not the one where they don't argue. A good marriage is not necessarily one that they never argue. In fact, far from it, that kind of marriage may actually indicate that this is an abusive or a neglectful situation where they just can't bother with anybody or one is controlling, uh, abusive, and the one can't say anything, so there's no arguments, right? Or that they just can't bother anymore. So just because you don't have arguments doesn't mean it's a healthy marriage. You're going to have arguments, and that's fine to have arguments. A good marriage is in where you have healthy arguments and communication. There are things you're going to have to come to terms with, with both. And for that, you need a healthy argument, give and take. Does anybody have an issue with trying to make their spouse understand something they don't understand? No? Sometimes, right? So one of the ways, now I don't use this because alhamdulillah, I understand my spouse. And if I don't, by this time in 20 years, I've, 21 years, I've, I know when to say, okay, no, tell me what you mean. I don't understand that. No, explain that again. All right? So I've learned to deal with that. But one strategy that some people find useful is what they call mirroring. Right? Mirroring what they say. This, you can call that reflective listening. So if the partner is telling you something, right? Your spouse is telling you something. And you know that they're not always, they don't always have too much clarity. Or you may misunderstand. So what you do is, you say what you understand after they've said that this is what I think, this is what I want. So then you say, oh, so you mean X, Y, and Z. And they'll say, yes. Do you understand what mirroring is now? So it, it works with people. I mean, th these things, it works with even people outside. You know, if you're working with somebody and there's a constant, with your boss, for example, or with a worker, you, they're not understanding you. Maybe they speak a different language. Maybe they're just different. So what you do is you, when, once they've said what they want to say, then you say, oh, so you mean this, this, and this. And they'll say, no, not in this, but yes, in this. And that's how slowly, slowly, you can get validated. What they've said becomes validated. It's called mirroring. If you need to use that, you can use that. It can avoid a lot of misunderstandings. Initially, when you do that a few times, then you will be able to figure out what they say, what they mean, because you will learn that. You, then you will have to do it less and less. But otherwise, you're going to be constantly frustrated because you feel that, this is what they said, and they said something else, or they meant something else. Uh, number two, it's also important, because sometimes there will be issues that you want to bring up. But you have to find the right time to bring it up. There's a right time for communication. Tactfully, you have to approach it. So, 
You can't do it, for example, when somebody's getting ready for work. You can't do it if you've got children in front of the children. That would be the wrong place to do it. Because people feel more self-conscious. People, uh, you know, children, and then children obviously are very sensitive to any tension between their parents anyway. So this could be harming the children. Uh, similarly, if you know that one of the spouses is very tired or stressed at that point, don't bring it up then. That's the wrong time to bring it up when they're tired or stressed at that particular point. One of the main issues here then, number three, is how to deal with criticism. How to undertake criticism and how to deal with criticism. Because clearly if you want to improve someone, there's going to have to be some criticism. Positive criticism, not negative criticism. We're all human beings and we are all flawed. And we will inevitably make some mistakes, every one of us. Even after 20 years of marriage, you'll make a mistake because we're human beings, we make mistakes all the time. That's why nobody's perfect and both should be willing to accept criticism from the other. But they just have to learn to co constructively criticize in an appropriate ma manner. If somebody is arrogant and they cannot take criticism, or if you're too shy to speak your mind and you end up bottling all of your bitterness and resentment inside, then this is going to be a recipe for disaster because you can't bottle it up forever. It's going to explode one day. Uh, bottling up is different from tolerating and dealing with something. You can't go and criticize everything that happens. You can't tell somebody off for every little thing that happens. You have to pick your battles. But you can't, never, or you can't always never say every, anything and bottle it up until it becomes make you angry, angry, and then one day you'll just say it in a way that's just going to destroy the whole thing. That's why criticism is very important in every relationship, but it needs to be just constructive, not negative and contentious. Negative criticism hardly ever works. Right? The Prophet ﷺ used uh, positive criticism. Right? For example, when um, Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhu, um, the Prophet ﷺ just mentioned to <clears throat> Hafsa radiallahu anha, who is the daughter of Umar, sister of Abdullah ibn Umar. So he said that, what an excellent man Abdullah is. Like your brother is such an excellent man. If only he could perform the extra tahajjud prayer at night. So instead of going to him and saying, why don't you do tahajjud prayer at night? He said, oh, it'd be so, such a wonderful thing if he could even do that, right? So after that, Abdullah, that really hit him. And he would sleep very little at night and he would, he would pray. So anyway, the next point then is that you have to learn to pick your battles. Right? You can't pick every battle. You can't fight for everything. It can't be 100% perfect. If you're looking for 100% perfection, just know you will never get it because you yourself aren't even 100% perfect. You know what I mean? There's nobody perfect. There has to be a give and take. You have to learn to pick your battles, right? And obviously, this leads to the whole concept of nagging. In inverted commas, nagging. When you want to pick every battle, it means nagging. Nagging would means that goes on and on and on. What the other person does then, they, like, they dislike it and then they learn to close their ears to it. They don't like it, but they learn to close their ears to it, so it's not being effective. That's why you can't always nag somebody about everything. They always put up a wall then. That's just human reaction to something. That's how they deal with it. So the other thing you have to remember is that it's virtually impossible to completely change another person. Virtually impossible to change another person. You can't have them 100% the way you'd like them to be. You know, before you get married, you have this maybe ideal spouse. This is how I want them to be. It never happens that way. But you can be satisfied with what you have. Allah can make you satisfied with what you have. That's the important part here. Let me talk about something else now, which is a bit controversial. Uh, but it's necessary here. The Prophet ﷺ said uh, to men, he's, his, his audience is men, so he's talking to men and he's referring to women, right? Because men are married to women. Treat your women well. Treat women well. For they are created from a rib. And the most crooked part of, part of the rib is the upper part. If you try to straighten it, you will break it. But if you leave it, it will remain crooked. So, treat women well. 
So what does that mean? The main thrust of this hadith, right? The main maqsad, the main objective and message about this hadith is that you must treat your women with gentleness. That's what the Prophet ﷺ is saying. Right, if we remove the whole contentious part of our way, what do you mean by being created from a rib and rib being crooked? What are you talking about? If we just ignore that for the moment, because the message of it is that you need to treat your women well. That's the message, okay? So you should treat your women with gentleness and you need to treat them well and you need to abandon any hope of making them perfect and straight in your mind. They're going to remain crooked. You must exercise beautiful patience in dealing with them because Allah says, وَأَنْتَصْبِرُوا خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ But that you be patient is better for you. Allah is most forgiving, very merciful. So, you're either going to exercise patience in avoiding marriage altogether. If you think that you can't deal with crookedness, avoid marriage altogether. That's a difficult one. But if you do marry, then in your interaction with them, you must also exercise patience. Because patience is going to be part of your life, whether you get married or you don't get married. You have to be patient. What is it now, now that we've understood the main objective of the uh, hadith, what does it now mean about creating, being created from a rib? Right? There could be three reasons for this. It could be more reasons, but I've come up with three reasons from what I've studied. Number one, being created from a rib can literally refer to their origin. Since our mother Eve السلام, Hawa was created from the highest rib of Adam السلام, as numerous narrations, uh, tafasir, etc. tell us. I mean, uh, you know, it says, uh, uh, Allah mentions that in the Quran as well, that uh, uh, Hawa was created from Adam السلام. The rib isn't mentioned in the Quran, that's mentioned in the Hadith, right? But it's mentioned that he was created, she was created from him in the Quran. So she was created from the highest rib of Adam السلام, which happened to be also the most crooked one. Now, if you take a rib, you'll probably break it before you can straighten it. It's impossible to straighten. If you try to straighten, you'll break it. Furthermore, the second point here is that why are the ribs even there? Why do we have ribs? It's a cage. Have you ever seen ribs? Right, if you see a, um, the cross-section, the skeleton of a rib section, you will actually see that they partially enclose and protect the chest cavity. Where there's many v uh, vital organs there. The heart and the lungs, they literally protect the heart and the lungs. And they, they are curved on both sides of our bodies, both the front and the back, to create a cage to provide the maximum protection. They could not have been straight. It would have been a, a blemish, a fault if they were straight. They're curved and that's what makes us look perfect, our torso, etc. Right? So they could not have been straight. And this is obviously a sign of Allah's protection, perfection. The crooked rib then is the whole crooked idea here. The Prophet is just using from the whole biology of the, of the rib. Right? But then there's another meaning as well, which is the third point. That, um, well, this is still the second point about the protection. That a woman, just like she's been created from the rib, which is used to protect the, the essential organs, a woman has all the characteristics required to perform her function of protecting her family and children. So if a man tries to change a woman to be like him, she would not be able to perform her function, which is mercy and protection of her loved ones. So you can't make your wife like you. Right? It can also be taken metaphorically and figuratively, in that women, from a man's perspective, this is not whether this is the reality or not, but from a, the way the man views it, or the way generally men view it, I don't... I don't necessarily view it like this but the way men generally view it is that they think women are you can tell me if this is wrong if the way you or if there's something else uh, they think that women are very emotional they're too chatty right i mean they talk too much sometimes right they never forget things right they're difficult to please unreasonable and they can't park their cars properly Right? 
among other things that when you get men together in a room they would rightly or wrongly banter about so we're not saying this is the reality but this is what men generally when you get men and they're talking about their wife this is what they do I don't do this right I honestly don't do that but I'm, I'm saying a lot of men do that these are the criticisms they have for when women get together they have other criticisms for men so men the Prophet is saying so men if this is how you view your women if in your perspective this is how women are then remember that that's their nature get over it and look at their positives so that you can enjoy them rather than being living a miserable life with this complaint treat them with kindness gentleness and persevere against their crooked so-called crookedness in your mind for you have no other option you're stuck with them right? she will do things that make no sense to you just accept it because that's how women are does it make sense so he's talking about it from a man's perspective he's not saying that's how women are necessarily he's saying that's how you think so well you better deal with it now uh, I'm going to give you the hadith again with commentary. So I'm going to mention the words of the Prophet ﷺ, but with a commentary to explain now, based on what I just explained, the, the, the Prophet's words. When I go like this, it means these are the words of the Prophet. ﷺ. A woman is created from a rib and cannot remain in one state. This is what the Prophet ﷺ said in another hadith. Meaning, she will not always be how you want her to be but will waver between sometimes being thankful and gr grateful to sometimes being ungrateful and showing ingratitude. That's going to happen to her. right? Obedience and disobedience. Contentment and discontent. Sometimes they're going to say, I'm very happy with you. And sometimes they say, you've never done this for me. Right? So, if you want to enjoy her, the Prophet is saying, enjoy her despite her crookedness. Since it cannot leave her. Again, and if you do try to straighten her by exceeding the limits, by using force, and you do not excuse her ways and overlook her deficiencies, again, you will end up breaking her, and breaking her means divorcing her. End of the hadith from Muslim. Similarly for women, it's not always one-sided, similarly for women, if they're going to try to straighten out the perceived flaws of their husband, whether by brute force, or by nagging him constantly, right? Drop by drop nagging every day. That's going to be extremely detrimental to their relationship as well. What you have to remember is that change comes from within. You can't force somebody to change. You have to put the right, make the right environment. You have to make the right points to try to get them to make want the change from themselves. That's why a loving and compassionate attitude with taqwa is going to obviously prove much more effective than being critical and repeating oneself. And that's one of the best ways to win people over. Aisha radiallahu anha, uh, she, was very, she, she was very savvy in the way she used to win the Prophet sallallahu love over, to, over right? Uh, once in a hadith she says that the Prophet, uh, Allah's Messenger said to me that I know when you're pleased with me and I know when you're angry with me. He figured her out. He says, I know when you're angry with me and I know when you're pleased with me. I said, how do you know that? He said, when you're pleased with me, then you generally say, no, by the Lord of Muhammad. Like when you're speaking and you swear an oath, you're saying, no, by the Lord of Muhammad. But when you're angry with me, you say, no, by the Lord of Ibrahim. So you take my name out. So now, do you know what she said? She was very young. She was less than eight. She was only 18 when the Prophet passed away. And she got married when she was nine. Right? Meaning she came to the Prophet when she was nine. So this is in between teenage years. She said, Yes, but by Allah, I leave only your name. In words. Otherwise, you're in my heart. Right? So she confirmed at that point her deep-rooted love by reassuring the Prophet ﷺ that it was only his name that sometimes she left out of saying, but she was, he was always in her heart. Allahu Akbar. I mean, the, this hadith indicates to you that they also had arguments. They also had opportunities to make one another angry. 
That's why the Prophet was saying to her that I know when you're angry with me and I know when you're happy with me. This is the best of creation. They also have healthy arguments. So what do you expect us to do? The other thing then is when your spouse does criticize you or make a mistake, which is bound to happen, we have to develop the humility to be able to accept the mistake and apologize. That's so important. You gain more respect when you apologize, you don't lose it. Some people have a psychological complex that if they apologize, they feel they're going to drop themselves. Even if 10 people tell them you were wrong, I've, I've, I've dealt with a case where the one spouse was told that they were wrong by several people that got involved and heard the story both from his and her perspective. And the several people that got involved, except maybe that spouse is very close friends. Because some, some spouses, very close friends, are as blind as they are. They are the biggest trouble. They cause the biggest problems. They're not your best advisors. But anybody else neutral, whether you ask them, or the, whether the husband asked them, or the wife asked them, they told them that they were wrong. What that spouse did was that she or he cut off those people. Because they weren't talking in their favor, they cut them off. That is just shows some kind of psychological complex. That means they need some kind of psychological help. You gain more respect when you apologize. You don't lose it because say no, he can apologize. He shows your vulnerability, he shows that you're an easier person to deal with. That's why the Prophet said that I guarantee a house at the edge of paradise for the one who gives up arguing even if they're right. To avoid the argument, even if they're right, they give up the argument. I give you a house at the edge of paradise. And a house in the middle of paradise for one who abandons lying even when joking. And a house in the highest part of paradise for one who is beautiful in their conduct. Who deals with it in the best of ways, they're going to get the highest place and so th don't think that if you apologize to diffuse the situation and to make amends that it's going to be wasted no you're going to get things for it to succeed in marriage you must learn humility and the prophet said that the one who initiates the greeting is free of pride so you know when you have a little problem with somebody and you feel bad with each other right and then it's like he must apologize she must apologize first she must say, she must try to rectify first because it was her problem or his problem. The Prophet is saying that the one who gives the salam first to try to reconcile, they're the best of the people, they're free of pride. And this has happened several occasions. I felt I was right. And uh, I was like, no, this time I'm going to make sure that she comes to me and not me. And then when you read this hadith, when you remember this hadith, you're like, okay, you know what? Let me, I'm going to get some reward for this. Let me do this. That's why these hadiths really help. You should have them on your phone somewhere. Every time you have a conflict, read the hadith. Unless you're so angry. No, I don't want to read them. She has to apologize. He has to apologize. But another point I want to mention uh, quickly uh, is that do not hold grudges. You can't afford to hold grudges with husband and wife. They become too heavy eventually. And they mess up your relationship. Uh, some wives have a habit of holding on to small issues, keeping them bottled up inside and allowing them to fester. There's going to be issues. You just have to nip them in the bud. You have to deal with them straight away and move on. Holding on to past issues will not make you feel any better. And your husband will not even be able to see how they are upsetting you. Like sometimes the husband may do something or the wife may do something and it upsets you. But they don't know. They didn't do it on purpose. You held that inside. They don't know. What's the point? You see what I'm saying? There's no point. It's very biased and unfair. Like for example, right? A husband may have had his dinner and he forgot to clear up the plate. Now, because of the months and months of bottling up small issues, this day when he came home and he was really tired or weird or he just thinks he doesn't have to clean up the plate. Right? Because some husbands think like that, that, that they don't have to clean up the plate. Right? They don't have to pick it up. He can come, he can eat and walk away and then they're servants, the wife is a servant. They think like that, they don't even help. But this guy, you know, he was maybe in a busy or whatever, so he didn't pick up the plate. And then she just burst out. 
said, you never pick up the plate and in all the previous months you don't even put the rubbish out, you don't do this and you don't do that. Why didn't you mention these important points before except you do it only when you're angry? Because when, you when you're angry you can't do it tactfully. You will then do it in anger and then it will just maybe he'll start responding and then it doesn't work. Finally, when it comes to communication, it's important to be on the same wavelength with your spouse. You have to be on the same wavelength. Now, this can initially be difficult when you first get married because you're both coming from different wavelengths, different kind of perspectives. You have to learn to get to know each other and balance it out. If he's the harsh one, she's the soft one, then his harshness has to be tempered down by her softness. And her over-softness needs to be raised by, you know, by, by his efforts. But once you get to know each other, you have to learn to mature with one another. Especially when it comes to the issue of raising children. This, if you're on different wavelengths, you will have great difficulty in bringing up your children. Because then your children will know and they will play the spouses with one another. They know their mother always lets them do it and the father doesn't or they know their father doesn't let it lets them do it and the mother doesn't they're going to be playing you and you're going to get angry with one another and your children are going to know this that is one of the worst things that you can do you have to be on the same wavelength um, the last point then the last of the four ingredients was compassion and mercy unfortunately our climate that we're living in right now of consumerism and selfishness that doesn't give us much room for mercy and for selflessness because we learn to indulge it's so easy nowadays to take what you want and just throw what you don't want away and just get something new so that's why it's very difficult to do that in a marriage see what I'm saying you can't do that in a in a human relationship we have to really deeply invest our emotions for our spouse it's a give-and-take situation, right? With husband and wife, it's a give-and-take situation. And the other thing that you have to realize is that marriage is not just about ticking boxes or fulfilling the fiqhi requirements. What is my right towards my wife? And what is my right towards my husband? And that's it, just these two and these two. I'm not going to do anything else. It never works that way. It never works that way. Those are just fundamental things. The fuqaha, the jurists, just left everything else to culture and to social norm, social demands. So anything that is not haram and that's demanded, it should be fulfilled by husband and wife. That's very important. Let's say that you had an ideal spouse in mind. Or when you got married in, with your spouse, he or she has certain flaws. I'm telling you this from personal experience, right? You have an ideal, this is what you wanted, but now you've got a wife, right, or a husband, and they have certain flaws. What are you going to do now? You think if you get another one, they're going to be perfect? Grass is greener on the other side. They're probably going to have this. They may not have certain problems, but they'll have other problems. Every human being is like that. What are you supposed to do? This is what the scholars tell us to do. And I guarantee you that this works. Firstly, the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu. He says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that لا يفرق مؤمن مؤمنة That a believer should not despise his wife. For if there is any quality he dislikes, because there's certain qualities that you dislike, there will be certainly others that he will be pleased with. So what is he telling us to do? Focus on the positives. Focus on the good. There will be disliked, but there will be other things. If she talks too much, maybe she's a very good cook though. Right? If she doesn't cook so well, but maybe in every other way, she just makes you so happy. Intimately, intimacy, whatever else. All right? Look at the positives. You see, looking at positives, there's some people, they're just very negative. They always focus on the negative. A lot of people are like that. They always look out for the negatives. Even there's 100 positives and 20 negatives, they'll focus on the negatives. One negative and 10 positives, they'll focus on the negative. I don't know, they just pick it up. They're like business investors. They just see an opportunity. So they see negativity. Don't be like a pig. A pig, when it goes into an orchard, it goes and looks for the rubbish, because they're used to that. Be like a nightingale. When a nightingale goes into an orchard, it looks for the most beautiful flower, goes there and sings. It's just positivity. 
helps a lot. It's not harmful at all. Because if you're going to be constantly negative, you may eventually end up with nobody around you. Because you're going to be constantly negative. Then the second thing that you do is you read the following dua. رَبَّنَا هَبْ لَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُنْ وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا Oh our Lord, grant us, this is a Quranic dua by the way, grant us from our spouses and our progeny, our children, grandchildren, etc. those that will gladden our eyes and make us the leaders of the righteous people. So you know what the benefit there is? The ulama mentioned that if you keep reading this Quranic dua, which is very powerful, slowly, slowly, Allah, and, and you keep focusing on the positive and not the negative, and I tell you this from experience that this works, Allah will either change your spouse to be all positive, or the negative things, you will be happy to ignore them, they won't matter to you anymore. They won't matter to you anymore. And the positives will satisfy you to such a degree that you will be very, you, you'll be very happy with them that you won't, the, the, the negatives won't bother you anymore. And I guarantee you that this works if you, if you approach this in this way with a trust in Allah. Because if I'm bothered by somebody who does certain things, for example, there were, there were two vegetables that I could never eat. I could never see myself ever eating them. I would just never eat those vegetables. But I've started eating them recently and i am actually started enjoying them now. Human beings have an ability to change. In fact, what the psychologist will tell you about the brain is that every 10 years, couples, every 10 years undergo a change. It's every 10 years they undergo a change. You would be different when you're 40 from when you're 30. Many, you know, based on your experiences and everything like that. The last point before, uh, uh, well, last point here for this point is that you have to start a bank balance with your spouse. A bank balance of love and positivity and goodness. What that means is that you have to constantly do good things to your spouse. All right, Go out of your way to do them. What you're doing by that is in their bank balance you are putting a lot of good. So when you do have a problem, they can draw from that bank balance. Because look, you know, if I have a small issue, but even whether it's accidental or it was not done on purpose and th there was a slight misunderstanding and because of that it created a slight bad feeling. Shaitan is going to try to use every possibility to create such a bad feeling that oh he hates you, she hates you, she doesn't like you and so on and so forth. Make it worse than it is. And there was no such feeling like that. So Shaitan is going to use that. But if you have a big bank balance of love and favors from before, when you have this problem, what it's going to do is that they're going to think, no, he can't hate me. She can't hate me because look, look at what she did yesterday. This is probably a, you won't allow the shaitan to manipulate that. And you have to remember that love is not like uh, brushing your teeth for two hours one day of the week. Somebody says, you know what, I need to brush my teeth every day, twice a day. I'm just going to, Sunday I've got time. I can't do it every day, on Sunday I'm going to do two hours of brushing. Instead of that, what is more effective is to do two minutes every day. That is more effective. In fact, you'll spoil your teeth if you did two hours of brushing. You don't have any teeth left. Right? So, likewise, when it comes to your spouse, it's not what you do once. It's not that one holiday you took her to. It's not those one bunch of flowers that he bought you. It's not that wonderful dress that he bought you. No, it has to be a series of things. Small, small things and they will create the bank balance. That is amazing. That is extremely important. So if you've deposited enough love in the bank, you can withdraw from there during these difficult times without going overdrawn in your relationship. You never want to be overdrawn in your relationship. 
by having lots of love and positivity and fond memories between you, you will realize in those difficult times when you're mulling over an argument or trying to think of a way to win or get back on the other that this situation is an exception and you are generally having a good life and a happy relationship and this will inshallah make it easier for you to reconcile. So that dua and positivity and that should solve a lot of issues inshallah. William Shakespeare, this is what he says, it's a beautiful poem, right? In Let Me Not to the Marriage of True Minds Admit Impediments. It's in his sonnet number 116. He says, Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark, whose worth's unknown, although his height be taken, loves not time's fool. Those, though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickle's compass come, love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error, and upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved. Love has to be for the long run. You can't just show love one day and then give up the next day when you feel there's no love. But love has to be forever.